You are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Well, we're still in Romans, and we're going to be in Romans for a long, long time. I've got I've got uh, the 18th in the series. Uh, I'm working on the 18th one in the series right now. And uh, right now I'm only at series 7. And we're still in Romans chapter 4. But uh, we're going to be breaking in from time to time. For instance, uh, uh, not next week. Next week is Mother's Day and Rebecca is going to be speaking. But then the next week is... uh, uh, Pentecost Sunday, and so I believe in keeping up the the different traditions of the church, and and uh, and uh, so when these times come in like that, then we break into the into the series to do a message concerning that. Today we're going to talk about being justified by faith, Romans chapter four. Now, of course, you know that. We could do a dozen messages from Romans chapter 4, but I've chosen to do one message and take the whole chapter. So it is basically a summary of what what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 4. So we'll start off with uh, verses 6 to 8. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. What an awesome opportunity we have to be a part of God's family. God, do not look at us as sinners today. Once we have asked Christ to come into our heart, the sin has been taken care of. We may have a past as far as this world is concerned, but we don't have a past as far as God is concerned concerning our sin. The slate is clean. But it is our responsibility to keep that slate clean. And God has given us a tremendous opportunity to do that on a daily basis. The Bible says that if we, that is the children of God, if we sin, now that our slate is clean, if we sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And it tells us that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So I always tell people, keep short accounts with God. Just because you messed up doesn't mean that you've got to continually continually mess up. You can say, Lord, I'm sorry, I know that I've done wrong, I know that I'm doing wrong, but I want to do what's right. I want to serve you. And you ask him to forgive you, and he forgives you. But again, while we're talking about being justified by faith, I want to encourage you as well. Do not presume upon the grace of God. Anyone who tells you that once you say a sinner's prayer, then you can do whatever you like and you can't be lost is telling you a lie. You don't find that in the Bible. Okay? You still love me? Would you rather I tell you the truth or tell you a lie? I'll tell you the truth. Okay. Amen. Well... That wasn't a part of my message either. We know and rejoice. First of all, Paul has up to this point given us an ironclad case for the fact that the law cannot save us. 
that salvation comes only through faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We know and rejoice that this is true, that we have forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's something about when you just say that simple prayer, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I receive that as a full payment for my sin. There's something that happens spiritually that gives you a witness in your heart that God has heard your prayer and he has forgiven you. And that is faith. You've exercised faith in believing what the word has said. And then from there you begin to grow spiritually. We are justified, redeemed. Jesus took our place at Calvary. We were slaves to sin, but we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Bought back for God's service. Jesus satisfied God's judgment against sinners. We have received God's amazing grace that we talked about this morning, sang about this morning. Paul confirms this in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, we read, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can't boast about it. We're all on the same level. We've been saved by the precious blood of Jesus. That's all. Didn't, don't matter how much money we've got in the bank, if we got millions or if we got nothing. Amen? The blood of Jesus is what brings us all together on the one level. Unfortunately, not everyone believes this. Paul refers to Abraham as a witness to defend his message of salvation by grace through faith. This message lays a firm foundation for every believer. It increases faith and encourages us to help others in their faith walk as well. Let's consider this fact as we follow the faith of Abraham. We can ask ourselves, how does this apply to me in my faith journey? Well, my first point I've just used, Abraham was justified by faith. The Bible tells us that, okay? He was justified by faith. In Romans chapter 4, uh, the chapter that we're in today, verses 1 and 2 says, What then shall we say? that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh or in the natural. What has he found in the natural? And uh, says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If it is works, he has something to boast about. But then Paul adds, but not before God. Because that's not God's way. God wants faith. And Abraham was a man of faith. God spoke to him. He believed. And God called him, referred to him as a friend. A friend of God. Notice the last phrase of this verse, not before God. What God is saying, you cannot earn your salvation by good works or good deeds. That's not his way. His way is by faith. So that a, a man or a woman can walk into this building today off the street as drunk as a skunk and ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart and they're on the same level as you and I. They're just as right in the sight of God, just as much a part of the family of God as I am who have been serving God for most of my life and, and, and in ministry for over 30 years. 
and they have the same standing with God. They're a part of God's family if they accept Jesus Christ today into their life. That's the amazing grace of God. Abraham was justified by faith. Now, we are, we are conditioned to perform from the time that we were kids. We're all conditioned to perform. We learn that good deeds, good performance provide rewards. Right? While the good things we do may prosper us in the flesh, and in the eyes of men, it will do nothing to earn our salvation. Let's look at Samuel. Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. God calls Samuel to go and anoint a man to be king over Israel. And so, Jesse, the father of the boys of the family that he sent Samuel to, first of all, gives his oldest son, stands before Samuel. He's strong. He's muscular. He's tall. And so Samuel thinks within his heart, surely this is the one that God has sent me to anoint. But listen to what God says to Samuel. But the Lord, Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as men sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. We can put on a good show, but what is God seeing? What is my heart like? A man who is justified by works has something to boast about. If works were required, his boastings would be entirely appropriate. But boasting is not appropriate in the family of God. And although I've been with you for 16 years now, if I came up here and started blowing my own horn this morning, if I start telling you what I did, what I did, some of you will be walking out before I'm finished. It's not about boasting. We boast in the Lord. We boast in what he has done, what he is doing. Abraham was not justified for, by what he did, but rather by faith, by believing. Faith is believing. What you believe is important. And even if you believe a lie, you would suffer the consequences of that belief. You can believe a lie and be lost for all of eternity. Even if you heard that lie preached from the pulpit. You see, nobody is, can use the excuse. When we stand before God in judgment day, we can't use the excuse. Well, my pastor said this. You're not going to be judged on what the pastor said. The pastor and the teacher will be judged, the Bible says, for what they taught. But you and I, and when everything is said and done, we will be judged by the word of God. What did the word say?
Romans 4 and 3 says, For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not the things that he did, just the fact that he believed God. Romans 4, verse 4 and 5 says, Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. When you take a position, when you take a job, you work for wages, right? Every payday It's your legal right to receive a paycheck. The employer is not doing you a favor when he hands you your paycheck. That's your legal right. You work for that. Now, if he gives you a bonus, that's a different thing. It is not an act of kindness or grace or compassion when your employer pays you for work completed. And so God is not giving us grace. He's not giving us salvation because we work for it. It is because the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, the world, the world. He loved the world. The people that lives on this planet earth. Everyone that has ever lived from Adam right down to this very day. He loves you. And he gave his son so that you would not perish but have everlasting life. Since we cannot work for our salvation, God owes us nothing, but he loves us. We're his creation. When he was finished with creating mankind, he said it is very good. He was pleased with his creation. He created us in his own image with a capacity to love, to have emotion, to feel. Salvation is a gift from God and we receive it by faith. No matter what we do in this world, we are always judged by what we've done last. (coughs) We're always judged by the last thing we did. You ask a a football or a hockey coach or a trainer or the athlete himself, and they will tell you that no sports figure is any better than their last game. Works don't work because work don't last. You have to do more and more and more. Eventually, you come to the end of what you can do. Thank you. She's on the job all the time. So can you imagine, if you are living by works for your try to earn your salvation, You've got to continually, continually work. And a guy in in hockey, he scores last night. We're expecting him to score again tonight. And we're expecting to score more than once. And when he doesn't, 
People are looking at him as, well, I don't know. Maybe he's not the guy I thought he was. There are high expectations. <clears throat> so when you can't do any more, what then? <coughs> That's the worst thing about those things. If you've got a cough, people can think there's an earthquake going on or something. If I am saved by my good works, then I have to keep doing good works and even better works. Every single minute of my life, and if I don't, then I'm doomed. That, my friend, is a pressure that no human should have to live under. And God don't expect us to live under that. Because God didn't design us for good works. He designed us to walk by faith, to live by faith. Now, next, I want the second point I want to make is that Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. You'll, you'll get what I'm getting at as we get through here, so don't turn me out yet. <clears throat> uh, does this blessedness, verse 9, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In other words, before he was circumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all who believe. Though they were uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them. And the father of circumcision to those not only who are circumcised of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith which their, our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. Now, the typical Jewish response to Paul's question in verse 9 would be only the circumcised. Because they thought that everyone had to be circumcised. Paul's reply to this response is to go back to Genesis and to read about Abraham. In Genesis 15, 6, the Bible says he believed in the Lord and he accounted to it to him for righteousness. Now, you can read about the covenant sign of the circumcision in Genesis chapter 17. I'm not going to go through that today. But uh, in Genesis chapter 17, 10, 13, I will read it to you. This is the covenant that you and your descendants must keep. Each male among you must be circumcised. You must cut off the flesh of your foreskin as a sign of the covenant between me and you. From generation to generation, every male child must be circumcised on the eighth day after his birth. This applies not only to members of your family, but also to the servants born in your household and the foreign, foreigner uh, born servants who have, whom you have purchased, or your slaves. All must be circumcised. Your bodies will bear the mark of my everlasting covenant. <clears throat> so that's, the, that's the, the background for circumcision. This was a covenant that God made with Abraham. And it was for him and for his descendants, his physical descendants. Now, let's do the math. Abraham was 85 years old when he believed God, and, and when he believed God and he was declared to be righteous. But Abraham did not undergo circumcision until he was 99 years old. Okay? 
So long before he was circumcised, God declared that he was righteous because he believed God. This means that 14 years had passed between his faith action and when God declared him righteous and his circumcision. In dismissing circumcision as a contributing factor in Abraham's acceptance with God, Paul does not mean to say that the ritual had no significance whatsoever. In fact, it served as a sign and a seal of the righteousness he received solely by faith, resulting in a covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. The conclusion is, that we are justified by believing, not achieving. <clears throat> Did you get that? Paul said all of that to teach us that we are justified by believing, not achieving. It's not what we do. It's what we believe. <clears throat> Okay, my third point. The Old Covenant versus the New. Consider with me for a while the Old Covenant with the sign of circumcision and the New Covenant with the sign of baptism. There are, dif there are differences between the New Covenant people called the church and the Old Covenant people called Israel. Under the Old Covenant, circumcision was applied to the eight-day-old infant males. Under the New Covenant, baptism is not to be applied to infants. We must first come to faith in Jesus Christ. Acts 2, verse 38 says, Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Paul explains this further. Well then, verse nine, uh, Romans chapter 9, verse, verse 6 to 8. Well then, has God failed to fulfill his promise to Israel? No. For not all who are born into the nation of Israel are truly members of God's people. Being descendants of Abraham doesn't make them truly Abraham's children. For the scripture says Isaac is the son brought uh, son through whom your descendants will be counted. though Abraham had other children too. Isn't that amazing? You see, God blessed Abraham based upon the promise. And God chose that his son Isaac, the promise would go through him, through his line although he had other sons. Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted, though Abraham had other children too. This means that Abraham's physical descendants are not necessarily children of God. Only the children of the promise are considered to be Abraham's children. Keep listening. It gets better. God bound himself by covenant to an ethnic people and their descendants. He gave them the covenant sign of circumcision. The church is the spiritual children of Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ. We are spirit-born new covenant people with the law of God written on our hearts. Paul makes this very clear in Scripture. 
and you can't fully get the understanding, I hope I am whetting your appetite today to get into the Word and to study the Word and see what God says about all of this. You can't catch this in a message. It is just something that the Holy Spirit uses. The Bible talks about the foolishness of preaching. And for somebody who do not know the Word of God, this is just mumble-jumbo. But I hope that it gives you a bit of desire to get into the Word and to understand and get to know what the Bible says about these things. There's nothing in the Bible just to fill in a page. It is there for our knowledge, our understanding, and for our growth. So many people tell me that they're Christians because they were baptized as an infant. Doesn't work that way. Don't care who told you. Don't care how many letters are after his name. Don't care what kind of a collar he wears. Go to the Bible. Read it for yourself. Folks, you got to stop listening to what somebody says. Check out what I'm saying. Read it for yourself. Baptism can't save you any more than circumcision could save them. No one should make that decision for you. No one can make that decision for you. The Bible says, repent and be baptized. Not baptize and repent. Process is biblically clear. Repent and be baptized. And yes, baptism is necessary. I believe in deathbed salvation. I believe that if you call upon the Lord at your last moment, your last breath, you call upon him, God will hear you. If you've got the presence of mind to ask God to come into your heart and to forgive you for your sins, you will be saved. How do I base that? I base that upon the fact that the thief on the cross said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's good enough for me. If Jesus said it, I believe it. And you'll realize that when you're nailed to a cross, there's no opportunity to be baptized. But that doesn't let me off the hook. I still need to repent and be baptized. When my children were young, babies, Ify and I brought them before a pastor. We gave them a name. And he prayed a prayer of dedication over that child. There is an age of accountability. We, don't, we, we are not to say when that age is. Jesus said, suffer the little children and let them come unto me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. These children are covered until the time they come when they know what is right and what is wrong. And they know enough about Jesus that they can ask him to come into their heart. That happens to some children that get some good biblical teaching at the age of four or five. And they serve God all their lives. So we're not here to put an age limit on, on, on the age of accountability. So then when they want to be baptized, we say, okay, mom, dad, if you are satisfied with that, if you feel that your child understands, we'll do it. A lot of times when children get baptized, they feel that later on in life, maybe in their 20s or 30s, they would say, well, you know, I was baptized as a baby, but, or as a, as, a, as a little girl or a little boy, I was five years old or 10 years old or whatever, and I just feel that I didn't fully understand 
what I was doing. I have a greater understanding of it now, and I want to do it again. We'll do it again for them. Not a requirement, but we do it anyway. Amen? But baptism is a step of obedience in your walk of faith. It's a symbol that something has taken place in your life. You're a changed man. You're a new creation in Christ. And so, yes, baptism is very necessary. In Galatians chapter 4, let me see where I'm at here now. Okay. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 22 to 28, says, the scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. You remember, Abraham and Sarah, they were getting older and older, and the promise hadn't come. She was still not conceiving. And so Sarah says, well, I have a maid. She's a young woman. Go into her. And maybe she will conceive and we'll have, you'll have your ear through her. That wasn't a lack of faith, folks. That was a lack of patience rather than a lack of faith. They were trying to hurry up what God had promised. They still believed that, they would, that he would have an ear, but they took matters in their own hands. But the son of the free wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women served as an illustration of God's two covenants. Remember that Paul is called to be an apostle to the Gentiles, not the Jewish people. He is speaking of the church here. He says in verse 28, And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. We are his spiritual seed. The promise was granted through faith. There was no law at that time. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 to 25, clearly God promised, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was not based on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary, and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it, and nobody can obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is not to have any law to break. So the promise is received by faith. It is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham. That's what God wants us to have. Faith like Abraham. Without questioning God, just saying, yes, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go, and I'll say what you want me to say. So the promise is received by faith, received as a free gift. For Abraham is the father of all who believe. That is what the scriptures mean when God told them, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings, uh, brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. And even when there was no reason to hope, Abraham kept hoping. That's the kind of faith God wants you to have. Even when it looks like Nothing is happening. 
It looks like there's no change. There's no, no human reason why it should. Believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how my descendant, how many descendants you will have. Like the stars of the heaven. Like the sand of the sea. And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though about a hundred years of age, he figured his body as good as dead, and Sarah, and so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger, and he brought, brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because Abraham's faith, of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. Listen to this. When God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous. If we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, he has handed over, he was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God, if we believe. So, as I conclude, you may ask, where does, does this leave us? who are not his physical descendants. It isn't Abraham's blood. Musicians, if you want to come. It isn't Abraham's blood in your veins that makes you his seed and heirs of the promise. It's Abraham's faith in your heart. Did you hear me? It's not his blood in your veins. It's Abraham's kind of faith in your heart. Can you believe what the Bible says about you? Can you believe that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God? And that you need a savior. And Jesus is that one who will forgive you from every sin, make you clean and keep you clean if you want him to keep you clean. You've got to have a desire. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to live like you. I want to have a heart that is pure and clean. I want to have a mind that is pure and clean. The promise that Abraham believed was that God would grant him descendants. It was very important for people in that generation to have somebody to carry on their name just as it is today, but probably even more so. And the girl of his dreams that he had dreamed that he would have many sons through was unable to have a baby. And the years went by. His whole life, really, was going by and nothing was happening. And there was a promise from God and still nothing was happening. But the Bible says he never wavered in faith. He got a little impatient. But he didn't waver in faith. God promised me a son. He trusted that God would call these descendants into existence.
this is how you and I can trust the Lord to perform his work in our life. What are you believing God for? Are you believing him for your children, for your grandchildren, for your husband, for your wife, for a partner in life, for a financial breakthrough? You name it. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Would you rather fit into that plan or go with something that you really, really want? And you say, Lord, this has got to be right. This, this feels so right. Lord, this has got to be right. Have you checked the word of God lately? What does God say about your desire right now? Whatever God has promised, he's able to perform. It's a song we used to sing one time. Whatever God has promised, he's able to perform. And it doesn't matter what the people say, because the promises of God and the power of God is just the same today. God is a God who never changes. He's not going to change his plan. You can block out his plan from your life. You can make decisions. I can make decisions that will stop me from the plan of God that God has planned for me. But God will never change the plan to suit me. I need to change to fit into his plan. We are justified by faith and we live by faith. And I believe God. I believe God's word. I care what you believe. Because as, as, as I said in the beginning, if you believe a lie, you can end up in hell. Oh yeah, there is a hell. We don't speak so much about it anymore. We like to stay on the positive side. But the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all sin. And if you want to receive him today as your Savior, you come, we'll pray with you. I'd love to introduce you to Jesus. If you're having a difficult time in your walk of faith, you say, you know, I made some bad decisions and I just feel so awful about it and I know I'm doing wrong, but is there any hope for me? Yes, there is hope for you. You're still on the acting side of life. You can change your mind. You can change your heart. You can change your ways. Because you see, being a part of this church can't get you into heaven. Being a member, you could lie on your membership card and become a member of this church, but it still won't get you into heaven. Father in heaven, let your Holy Spirit just speak right now. You know your people. You know them much better than I do. You know what each one is dealing with. So Spirit, just zone in on that person and help them to make the right decision today in Jesus' name. 
If you're here, you need salvation. You need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You need to get on track with Jesus Christ. I want you to come up here. I want to talk with you. And I want to pray with you. If you're here and you, you want prayer for something, you need, need healing in your body, or it doesn't matter what it is, I'd like to pray with you. We've got other people that will come and help us pray as well. But folks, there's no need to leave a church building on a Sunday morning the way you came in. If you're dragging your feet, if you're feeling rotten, if you're feeling on the outside looking in, then this is the place to make the decisions that needs to be made. The Bible says there was a time when God winked at the condition of men's hearts. But now he commands everyone to repent. Stop sinning and start believing the gospel. Lord bless you. I trust that the Lord will just continue to speak to you concerning Romans chapter 4. Have a great day in Jesus. Talk about him amongst yourselves at the dinner table, at Kentucky Fried, <laughs> wherever. Let this presence of the Holy Spirit hover over your life all week and come back on Sunday expecting great things and make room on Wednesday for an hour of prayer. Come for 10 minutes, pray and go, do what you like, but at least show up in the house of God. Let's pray because we're losing out with God, folks. That's another message. Go home. <laughs> Praise the Lord. If you need help from God, come. We want to pray with you. You have been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.